Turn with me in your Bibles, please, for our first reading to Psalm 36. Psalm 36, verse 1, hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to, to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down, and shall not be able to rise. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Well, we have a very common sort of psalm title here. Uh, it's got a couple of different elements to it, but, all we, but we've seen these elements independently before. First of all, it is to the chief musician. Okay, so that tells us that this was penned by David for public worship. It was to be incorporated into the worship of God's people. Uh, we have a psalm of David. So this was written by that great King, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the one who said, The Spirit of God spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Then notice David is also described here as the servant of the Lord. Now this is something new. We haven't seen this element before in the psalm titles. Um, There are several things that come to mind when we hear that, right? Right? The word for servant here is the same kind of word that's used all over the Old Testament for slave. Right? Avad. Slave. It's a, um, in the verb form, uh, eved, it means, or avad, it means to to serve someone. Whether that would be to serve them like uh, as a servant does in a household or some other kind of service that is done. And so how does David characterize himself here? Not as king, but as servant. 
Aren't you reminded in that then of the Apostle Paul when over and again introducing himself in his letters, he will use that word doulos, bond slave, to describe his relationship to the Lord. Although it is from the Apostle Paul that we learn uh, that great doctrine of adoption, don't we? Especially in, well, several different passages, but Romans chapter 8 comes to mind as one of those great ones. And so the Apostle Paul, although teaching the doctrine of adoption, wanted us never to forget, and David wants us never to forget, that we are also servants of the Lord. That the Lord draws us in and grants us an inheritance as a part of our sonship. That he calls us to obey him, remember, that is a part of our service to him. Okay? All right, so let's go on into the psalm itself then. It's an awkwardly worded phrase here at the beginning. The transgression of the wicked, Seth, within my heart, that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Interesting way to say it. Um, there's, a, there's a construction all over the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord. Right? Okay. Well, this is the same construction. Except, thus saith the wicked. Or, sorry, thus saith the transgression of the wicked. And so, there's something, this, this awkwardness of phrase sort of uh, causes us to pause for a moment and to think about what David is actually saying here. And I think several things spin out of it. The first thing is this, that no matter what it is that we're doing, we're always saying something right our actions do speak they do communicate there is something that we do say when we lead with transgression right it says something about us to David it said there is no fear of God before their eyes the wicked were all about this one sermon I don't fear God. That's what they were saying. This is what David says here. The transgression of the wicked, Seth, preaches, communicates within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. The second point that comes up out of this is that David shows himself a man that knows rightly how to evaluate the actions of others as he sees them. Well, this would be part of his job description as the king. He would be called upon to make righteous judgments, wouldn't he? And so there is something to be said for that, but there's something to be said for that office in us all. Let me put it to you this way. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul will talk all the way through that chapter, and at the end of that chapter he will say, they know this about God, that, that those who do such things, and the catalog that he's just described is pretty heinous, are worthy of death. But not only them, but they that approve of them as well. Or take pleasure in what they do. Not they do it themselves, but they take pleasure in it. So what is David doing here? And what is Paul bringing up? And how are these related? It's a very interesting connection in that David looks upon the wicked and he sees him doing what he's doing and he says in his heart, 
the, the message he receives from that is, there's no fear of God before his eyes. I need to stay away from that guy. The man in Romans 1 that is being described sees the wickedness of the wicked, and that sermon preaches, oh, that's funny, that's interesting, that's cute, that's entertaining, that's fill in the blank, in some way pleasurable. David looked upon actions of the wicked, and he said, there's no fear of God before him. The man in Romans 1 looks upon the same kind of wickedness, and he says, I can take pleasure from that. You see the difference between the two. And so what we want for ourselves is we want to be like David. We want to behold the wickedness of the wicked, and we want that to preach to us that there is no fear of God before his eyes, and we don't want to take any kind of pleasure in that. There's no attraction of us to that, no matter what the wickedness is, whether we would call it a great and heinous wicked like wickedness like Romans 1, or whether we would call it something lesser, uh, less offensive, doesn't matter. We want to surround ourselves with those who are preaching to us by their lives that there is the fear of God before them, and those who would encourage us to have the same. So, David begins here then with proper judgment. Proper judgment. When he beholds the sin of the wicked, he will use it rightly. He will use it as a way uh, not to go that, that direction. Now he'll describe it a little bit more fully in verse 2. He flattereth himself with his own eyes till his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. So the catalog there in 2, 3, and 4 go along with the transgression of this wicked what, that David has identified or used to identify that there is no fear of God before his eyes. All right, so now in verse 5, we turn to the Lord instead. And notice he says, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth to the clouds. And so in the midst of that, David, um, there's an implication here, right? The implication is that David is thankful to the Lord that while he has been surrounded by many that are wicked, that he has maintained instead an upright judgment and understanding of that wickedness such that he does not follow it, he does not approve of it, he's rather condemned it as, as coming from a heart of hatred toward God. And so now he turns to the Lord and he says that thy mercy is in the heavens. That is that the Lord has sustained him in the midst of wickedness. Well, this is exactly where we want to be, beloved. We want to be surrounded um, because we live in this world, we want to be, uh, if, if we find ourselves surrounded by wickedness, we want to judge it rightly. We don't want to find any affinity in our own hearts toward it. We want to call it what it is. It's hatred of God. And we want to be maintained in, in a good witness even in the midst of all of that. So this is how David begins Psalm 36. He will speak of the, of the greatness of God's loving kindness. He uses those terms that we remember, uh, chesed and emet and amunah and all of those words that speak of God's truth 
his faithfulness and his covenant love or his covenant fidelity. By righteousness is like the great mountains. That means that they are, that his righteousness is unmovable. Thy judgments are, are a great deep. That means that, he, that the Lord plumbs the minds of all and knows how to judge between good and evil. Um, and then the Lord preserves man and beast, even the wicked. And so how excellent is thy loving kindness. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. And so there is, uh, there's, a, there's another direction there, a direction that is toward the Lord and away from the wicked, the one who flatters himself with his own eyes. Verse 8 then, They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures, for with thee is the fountain of life, and thy light shall we see light. And very often in Scripture, the house of the Lord is associated with springs of water, living water, flowing rivers, fountains, and so on, right? Um, the, uh, those life-giving waters that flow forth from Zion. So we talk about the house of God here in uh, verse 8. They will, the, 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 uh, the house of God is abundantly satisfying to the people of God. It is where they get their drink. The river of life is there, the river of thy pleasures and the fountain of life. So then now we have a prayer. Uh, notice up to this point, we haven't really had a prayer and asking for anything. We've had simple uh, observation statements and confessions. Now we have a prayer. And what does David pray for here? Oh, continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. So first he asks for perseverance. Then, let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. So the foot of pride, uh, variously interpreted by commentators, not my own pride or not anyone else's pride, depending on who you read. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. And then finally, there are the workers of iniquity fallen. They're fallen how? In their wickedness and in their pride. There are they fallen, and they shall not be able to rise. So the, the end of this, of this wicked heart that, that, that we heard about in verse 1 is that they are cast down, and they shall not be able to arise. And so the application, obviously, of Psalm 36 then, is when we see the transgression of the wicked, let it speak in your heart. Let it speak by saying, there is no fear of God before his eyes. In that way, you will not be tempted to take pleasure in what he does, to follow it, to say that there's some good left in it, or other, any other such thing, so that you might end up cozying up to the one who will certainly be cast down and not able to arise. So the psalm ends where it begins. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.